Welcome to another episode of Devotional. This is a series entitled, Jesus Reveals the Eight Paths to Happiness, and this is episode eight. We've been covering quite a bit of ground, not just in the Bible, but in my neighborhood. I'm out here walking again with my little girl, and uh, it's been a great experience to get in shape and to share God's Word. So we are now going to be transitioning in this episode. We've been talking about blessed are those who thirst and hunger after righteousness, for they shall be filled. In the last episode, we unpacked a lot of what Jesus encapsulated in that short statement of what does it mean that you hunger and thirst for righteousness. And uh, we talked about the, the righteousness that can only come from Him, and it's justice. And the justice is, um, that we're hungering for is justice needed, not justice deserved. And I don't know if you remember the definition of that. It's called mercy. Mercy is when you receive the justice that you need, but not the justice that you deserve. In other words, when you... I mean, it's pretty simple. You probably already could think of, you know, the... The most uh, used example of getting a ticket, right, by a police officer, you go to the judge, you need to have the judge say, I'm not going to charge you with this, and forget the ticket, you know, especially if it's like a $500 ticket, you're really hungering for the justice needed, not the justice deserved. And that is the kind of justice that we are hungering for. We talked about, you know, what, what produces this hunger is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. And it's that realization of the selfishness and the pride in our lives that leads us to crave for something that we are just incapable of producing, but we are definitely able to receive by faith from God. That is His righteousness. And how God does that? Well, He sent His Son. He lived a sinless life, a righteous life, a completely blameless life, and we exchange. God gives us the righteousness of His Son, Jesus Christ, in exchange for our unrighteousness or our disobedience, our selfishness and pride. And so, this is the, the things that we are hungering for. So, we have that. And last time I talked about the, the need to have our taste buds changed. And I want to kind of use that as a segue into the next one. What is it that we are tasting, right? Because we are hungering and thirsting. And I told you how I used to think that uh, a good uh, 16 ounces of Mountain Dew would quench my thirst after a heavy-duty soccer practice, which it didn't, of course. And of course, the, the eating, my eating was no better. The things that I ate, that I used to eat, I don't think I would be alive right now if I continue eating them. Uh, the, the, the things I ate and the amount that I ate them on. And sometimes with my friends, we'd go to IHOP at 11.30, almost midnight and I would get a six egg omelet with all the fixings and a whole bunch of other sweets and anyways and that did that on a regular basis and uh, I thought that I needed that I thought you know this is no big deal I, I don't see anything wrong with me on the outside which brings us and you, be, you begin to see now how these are all tied in just like I didn't realize I needed to address the, my issue with cholesterol I did not know that I needed to address the issues of selfishness and pride. 
but now we do and what we taste we don't like anymore we don't like the taste of um, our selfishness we recognize how damaging and how hurtful being proud can be but now God fixes that by allowing us to taste something so sweet so delicious that once we taste it it just changes us I don't know what's the most delicious thing you've ever tasted in your life I have a lot to pick from um, my friends know that I really enjoy pizza but um, I, I don't know if that's I would say that that's the most delicious thing that I have ever, ever tasted there's different types of pizzas so for me you know New York style I guess that would be the one of the most delicious things that I have ever tasted um, I don't know about you yeah, I'd be curious if you want to contact me I think you can see my email somewhere in the podcast I'm still getting familiar with how these things work but and if you have uh, feedback I would love to hear from you as well if these are things are helping you um, if they're being a blessing for you or if there's other things you would uh, want me to talk about but for me I remember the first time working for this Greek family uh, Matangos in Harrisburg Pennsylvania they brought this uh, dessert this uh, Greek but it's really in the Middle East <clears throat> dessert called baklava I don't know if you ever had that if you know what I'm talking about but it's phyllo dough it's this very thin dough that you have several layers and then you have this mashed up walnuts lathered with honey and butter <laughs> and uh, it's all like this crunchy on the outside and sweet and, and, and thick on the inside a paste of walnuts so you got that nutty oily flavor of the walnut with the honey oh man the first time I tasted that I fell in love I had never tasted that before and of course Mama Matango uh, Pete my my friend Pete's mom she made the best baklava I mean, she, this is like you know the, their Greek recipe original and so for me those are one of the things in life that when I think back my mouth waters well God does something like that for us so this desire for this hunger and thirsting for righteousness and not simply you know the same experience someone that is starving that they would eat stale moldy bread right I have some friends um, that um, told me the one time they were so thirsty they were out in the desert they got lost and uh, they ended up finding a barn and part of the barn a farm of cattle and they saw those uh, little fans those little windmills <laughs> not fans windmills that pump water into this big container for the cows to go and drink from there and uh, it was at nighttime when they made the discovery in the moonlight so when they saw a water glimmering in the the, the moon glimmering in the in the light of the water the reflection they ran and stuck their heads in there and drank and had their fill and they just camped there they were tired the next morning before they headed out they wanted to see you know get a one more gulp of water and when they saw what they had drunk the night before critters dead animals a whole bunch of other things that I don't want to tell you that they had gladly drunk the night before well what God is offering us is definitely not that stagnant disgusting water full of parasites and who knows what else he's definitely not giving us stale bread what God is offering us is something like spiritual baklava and what is that right 
What is this spiritual baklava that God is offering us? I want to talk about that when we come back in just one bit. By now you know what we're going to be doing, right? We're going to be looking at a verse in the Bible that I think is special, it's special to me. And I think it will be special to you as well. I think it will help us understand, you know, the, the cliffhanger that I left you with. Um, one day, Jesus was in this town called Samaria. And I don't know if you know much about this, but people from Samaria and Jewish people did not get along very well at all actually and so Jesus one time is uh, the Bible tells us in uh, the Gospel of John chapter 4 Jesus meets this woman at the well and uh, that was like where everybody went when they were thirsty to get water but the Bible says that Jesus was there at noon at the hottest part of the day and obviously there's no one there everybody would go gather water in the morning when it was still cool use it for cooking, whatever, and then at the end of the day, they would go back so that they could use that water for washing or doing any other kind of preparations. Well, Jesus is there at noon, at the end, at the hottest part, and then this woman shows up to get water, and she's doing this intentionally. She wants to avoid all the townspeople. And uh, as she's getting the water out, Jesus says, can I have some, please? She's shocked. You know, there's... there's strong racial tension between Jews and Samaritans and she acknowledges that you know how come you're asking me of this you're a Jew I'm a Samaritan we're not even supposed to be talking to each other and then Jesus tells the woman that he has water to give to her actually and so these are the verses that I want to focus on today John 4 13 and 14 says Jesus answered and said to her whoever drinks of this water will thirst again but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him or her will never thirst but the water that I shall give him or her will become in them a fountain of water springing into everlasting life it's a verse that completely took the woman of guard Jesus didn't have anything to draw water and then later she understood what this water was and this water is what we're going to be talking about now that we're going to go back to the Beatitudes. But remember that when you're thirsty, the thirst that your soul has cannot be quenched by anything. Go drinking anything from this world, you will thirst again. But drink from the water that Jesus gives you, you will never thirst again. be saying all right already tell us what's this spiritual baklava what is this all this suspense around it it's forgiveness it's forgiveness forgiveness have you ever experienced forgiveness forgiveness it's one of the sweetest tasting experiences you can ever have in life and you may be saying really well the reason sometimes we don't enjoy forgiveness is because people don't really know how to forgive. We are definitely bad, eh, horrible actually, at forgiving one another. We usually, um, what we call forgiveness is actually a camouflaged revenge. 
we uh, tell you that we're going to forgive you after making you feel really rotten about what you did. And then we remind you every once in a while of how rotten you were and how nice I am that I forgave you. Well, it's not really forgiveness. And there are many other versions of it. But why, why is it that this is what causes us to want more and deeper and hunger and thirst after this righteousness, this justice, this forgiveness, this justice needed but not just as deserved. It's forgiveness. The judge, when he tells you, you know, I'm going to cancel this ticket, what he's in essence saying is the court, the city, is forgiving you. They are going to take a loss so that you can walk away. Well, for us, maybe sometimes we... Also, one of the reasons forgiveness may not taste too good for us is we don't really see what we have done. All we are concerned about are the consequences. Can I get off the hook? Can I walk away and I have to deal with this right now? And many times when we pray and ask God for forgiveness or when we talk to other people and ask for forgiveness, we are asking it in, again, selfish ways. All we really care about is that they tell us, I'm not going to sue you. I'm not going to press charges. I'm not going to punch you back. I'm not going to insult you. I'm not going to get you in trouble. And when we hear those words, we walk away. I'm glad I got out of that one. Um, but that's not really even tasting the baklava. That's, that's stale bread. As far as experiencing what God offers us, that's definitely stale bread and stagnant water. And maybe that's why we're not very impressed when we talk about God forgiving us. We don't really understand what forgiveness is especially when it is in relationship to God. God understood this. And don't feel, you know, what I'm telling you is my struggle too. And actually, if you read the Gospels, Jesus' own disciples struggle with this big time. Um, Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, when they were talking about this issue of being wronged and how to respond to people when they wrong you, um, there was a, a tradition, and I don't think it's, just a Jewish tradition because I've heard it in other cultures including ours in that you know if, if someone wronged you after three times you were allowed to say forget it three strikes you're out now it's my turn for revenge and I and I've already forgiven you three times so this is it um, but so Peter tells Jesus this um, master um, it, we should forgive seven times right in in Peter's like doubling it plus one. He, he's like, I'm, just, I'm, I'm starting to become a really nice person. I'm not willing to just say three times. I'm not even willing to double it to six. I'm staying seven, the perfect number. Certainly Jesus will say, wow, Peter, you're so nice. You are willing to forgive people seven times, of course. And after that, you can knock their heads off. Nope, that's not what Jesus responds. Actually. Jesus undoes completely uh, Peter's number by hundreds of folds. He says, no, Peter, you need to forgive 70 times seven. And of course, the disciples may be doing with their Habakkuk's, you know, like uh, 490, 490 times. I'm going to lose count before I get to 200. And that's precisely the point. Don't count. Don't count how many times you're forgiving someone. That's forgiveness. And that's when um, the forgiveness that we experience 
it's um, tasty, it's baklava. Now, Jesus doesn't just tell Peter this, he tells him a parable. And I love the parables of Jesus, they're so rich, so practical and simple. And the parable that Jesus tells is of a king. And this king had a servant that just mismanaged his money horrendously, probably personal spending and splurging. Sound familiar? Well, this king starts doing some bookkeeping and auditing and finds out that this guy, in, I guess in our economy, he owes him several millions of dollars. And this is just a regular guy. And so he tells him, listen, I, I have to put you to jail. I'm going to have to sell your family um, so that I can at least recover some of my losses from you, from your poor performance. You're such an unprofessional, unskilled people. How did I ever hire you? Well, the guy begins to grovel before the king and say, Lord, king, sorry. Listen, um, just give me time, all right? I'll pay you the, the several millions of dollars that I owe you. I'll pay you back. I'm going to put a little bit each month, you know, my $45,000 a year. Eventually, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll pay you back the whole thing, I promise. And as he's there crumbling, as the guy's realizing my life is over, I'm going to be spending the rest of my life in jail. I've lost my family. I've lost everything. Jesus says that this king looks at this servant of his and decides to extend to him righteousness. Justice needed, but not justice deserved. And you know what that means. You know that that's the definition of mercy. And he tells the servant, listen, you'll never be able to pay me back this. Who are you kidding? It's done. It's over. I'll take the loss. Go ahead. You're free. Go back to your family. I'm not going to throw you in jail. I'm not going to sell your wife and kids. You're a free man. And the man, Jesus says, gets up and he can't believe it. He has been forgiven. But then Jesus throws a monkey wrench in this story. Jesus says that this guy walks out of the king's court with a huge smile on his face, still very happy, very, you know, <laughs> I can't believe what just happened. And then he finds a friend, a friend that owed him $10. And uh, all of a sudden he remembers, I'm hungry. I, I need to eat lunch today. And man, my funds are, are low and I know the king's not going to hire me. Um, that guy owed me $10. So he walks up to him and says, uh, where's my $10, my friend? And the friend says, listen, I'm sorry, things have been hard, uh, but I promise you, I'll, I will pay you back. And the guy's like, no, you want to pay me back right now. And the guy's like, I promise I can't pay you back right now, but I will. Just give me some time. I promise you, I will not fail you. And so this guy, Jesus says, begins to punch and attack him and threaten. I'm going to get a lawyer and I'm going to put you in jail. You're going to pay me back my entire $10. And the servants of the king were watching this, and they became indignant. And they went and told the king, Look, the guy that you just forgave the several millions of dollars is beating up a friend of his over $10. The king calls him back, and I don't need to tell you what happened. The debt went back worse. How is it that someone can be forgiven $14 million and, or whatever, any hum humongous amount of money like that, and it not affect that person's heart. I think that this is one of the strongest warnings that Jesus has 
in regards to people that don't take the time to invest in meditating, thinking, reflecting. What did it take for Jesus to forgive me? What did it take for Jesus, for God, to allow me to walk away even though I have done things, things that have hurt other people, things that are I can't take back, things that I've done that, well, they've hurt people, hurt my kids, hurt my ex-wife, my ex-husband, my parents, and these are irreversible things, and God's just gonna let me walk away? Well, I think we all start off selfish with God. We all start off with, so am I gonna be lost? You know, are you gonna send me to the hot place? Um, please forgive me. And then we try to figure out, you know, what's the right formulas? What are the words that we need to say? And, uh, you know, are, are there like, almost like magic, you know? What is, what is the magic formula so that I can be sure God has forgiven me? And that's what we want, getting off the hook. But we will never taste the spiritual baklava in that direction with that kind of focus. Well, when God wants us to taste the baklava, we need to go to the cross. We need to go and see what it had to happen in order for God to let us walk away. His son Jesus had to die for you and I. And when we say that, we're not realizing all that that means that Jesus had to die. Jesus had to die as if he was eternally lost. And the separation that he was gonna experience with the Father was gonna be a separation that would never be healed. It was an eternal, forever, never communicating, never having anything to do with each other um, kind of a relationship uh, is broken. Jesus would die, and that was it. For us, we need to think about those things, and I had to think about those things, and I think about those things even more deeply now that I have a child. There have been times that I'm in the house, and I will go downstairs, and my oldest daughter doesn't know, and all of a sudden she will get scared. Where's daddy? Where's daddy? My youngest one, she's one. And she's already, she's aware when I am not around. And my wife tells me that sometimes she calls for me. She looks for me and she cries. Her fear is, daddy's gone. I was doing a, a worship for Oakwood Academy, the Christian school that we have in my church right now. And I asked the kids, have you ever been lost in a, in a supermarket? Have you ever lost your parents? Have you ever lost your mom in the supermarket? All of the kids raised their hands. <laughs> and of course, they knew where I was going. How did, you, how did you feel in those seconds in which you did not see your mom, or minutes in which mom was just not around? You, you thought you were following her, and then all of a sudden you look up and it's someone else. And you look back behind you, all around you, and mom's gone. That terrifying fear of never seeing your mom again. Those are small glimpses that we can draw from that we need to meditate and reflect. What we experience in a few minutes, that deep, paralyzing fear, is what Jesus had to go through in this place called the Garden of Gethsemane. In that garden, Jesus prayed three times to his Father that if it were possible, that this cup would pass from him. He doesn't tell us what that cup is, and we don't know what that cup is until we read about it in the book of Revelation. 
the cup of God's wrath, His wrath against sin. God poured the entire wrath, the entire punishment that our sins deserve, all of us, the entire globe. I mean, take, take into consideration how you feel when you feel guilty, and then the person next to you feels guilty, and then I feel guilty, and the people around me feel guilty. All that guilt, even what we don't feel guilty about, but we are just guilty of. All of that was put upon Christ. And that's what really killed him. The separation. He was dead long before they pierced his side. Jesus died out of a broken heart. The fear, the realization that our sins had separated him and his father. These are very quick brushstrokes of what I'm appealing to all of us, myself included. We need to think about what it has caused God to forgive us. Because when we realize what it had cost us, we begin to see how sweet forgiveness is. We begin to see the enormity of our guilt, the enormity of our punishment. We begin to understand something of what sin would have cost us. And all that, the suffering and pain that it would have brought to us and the people that we love. And yet God, out of love for us, made the exchange. These are the things that we want to be transitioning over into the next beatitude about those that are merciful. It makes perfect sense that God would want us to experience this kind of forgiveness and not just walk away from it, but begin to do something with it that uh, without this, it would be impossible for us to give away what we have not received. And we'll talk about that when we talk about blessed are the merciful.